One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to episode seven of the Autobot podcast. My name is Justin Viber. I'm joined once again by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. And uh, we are continuing our positional breakdown series. We're going to talk about the first base position in, in this episode. Um, but first, I think, Niv, you had some things you wanted to talk about now that there's some additional clarification on how uh, this season is going to work for baseball. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Um, I wanted to first say, you know, I hope everyone is staying safe and uh, dealing with this like pretty unprecedented pandemic and um, doing the best they can right now. Um, so, you know, I, I reach out, I like reach out to me if you have any questions or concerns about going through this season or uh, dealing with uh, the shortened baseball season. But we have a little bit of detail from Major League Baseball and the Players Association about what their expectations are going forward. And, you know, they've gone forward with their March agreement um, I don't not, I'm not going to go step by step through all the stuff that I wrote out, but everything's written out on the community forums. That's community.autonew.com. Uh, you can go there. You can see there's a conversation about it. Uh, there's some details about what head-to-head looks like, what playoffs will look like, what innings caps will look like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So as you are uh, getting closer to the season, and you know we're hoping for a July start date. Uh, You'll have all the information you need to plan your team. And uh, as we go through in these positional uh, breakdowns, uh, we'll be using the information that, uh, that I put, to, put out there. Um, obviously, we don't have all the final answers on what the Major League Baseball season will look like. And we're not going to have the final answers until the season's over, I don't think. But uh, we'll update it. I'll update it as much as I can as, as soon as we get new information about the health protocols, about all the different... Um, mitigations for making sure that uh, these guys stay healthy, the players stay healthy. Um, and so I'll do the best I can to keep you guys informed, but uh, it'll be on the forums. Uh, again, community.autonew.com. Please check it out. All right. Um, thanks, Niv, for that update. Uh, Chad, did you want to talk quickly about, I mean, we've got a probably a pretty clear upper tier for, for first baseman. Is there anything interesting to talk about with that? <laughs> with that high-end group or I don't don't think so I mean I think like I look at the the top and um looking at the the average values page and out of new um and focusing on guys who are first base only right I mean you know someone like Cody Bellinger's are actually sort of the top of this list but like uh no real sense in talking about him here he makes much more sense as an outfielder from a fantasy perspective um but you've got guys like uh Alonzo Freeman, um, Rizzo is up there. Um, as you move a little further down, maybe you begin to get like a Matt Olson, a Goldie Hoskins, uh, even down to like a you got Josh Bell. Like you get guys like that, and like they are all good hitters. They are all valuable. Um, you can probably, I actually think in some cases there's even a pretty clear order to some of them, but you can nitpick that order if you wanted. But 
I just I don't I don't think they're that interesting. I think it's <laughs> you get it, if you have a stud first baseman, you have a stud first baseman, yeah. and that's great. And I'm pretty happy if I've got any of those guys I just listed. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, think that's right. I, I, yeah, I mostly agree. I think I will get to it a little bit later. I, I have some other thoughts on on how that top tier shakes out and the strategy about about going after those guys, but. Um, yeah, I, I think first base is is deep as well. I think there's a lot of interesting names throughout the position, you know, even down into the 24th best first baseman necessarily. So, um, you know, it, for me, I think one sleeper first baseman that I've been trying to target this year is CJ Krohn. Um, he is going for, it looks like he's currently rostered in 74% of leagues keeping in mind that not all leagues have completed their draft yet um, at an average salary of $3 and 50 cents. So for me, like I kind of like that range of first baseman, that sort of under $5, you know um, you get some, some platoon bats, you get some guys that maybe have questionable playing time. um, And to me, he's a guy that I think is, is more like an eight to $10 first baseman who you can get for half that price. So um, he's the one that jumped out to me as a, as a sleeper first baseman that I'm targeting. And I don't, in general, I don't like to spend a lot of money at first base unless I'm getting a really good price on one of those studs. And I don't, I don't think in general that those studs typically go for great prices. So, yeah, name recognition really kills you there, right? Like everyone knows uh, most of the players that Chad named, or maybe you know all of them. And if you have that, like if you like, you're not going to get a deal at an auction unless it's Unless it's fresh and you get really lucky. I mean, like, it's it seems really unlikely to me. I mean, I don't know, Chad, like, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I still I still think there's... I'm speaking uh, to somebody who spent a lot of money on a first baseman, so I will defend that as a path <laughs> forward. But I don't... But I think Justin's point is fair. Like, you're not going to get a deal there. Like, No, I don't think you're going to get a deal, but I, I do think, like... So one of the things that we've talked about in the past is this balance between surplus and production, right? And you can right. have all the values you want, but at some point people have to hit and people have to pitch. And first base is a position where like I feel pretty good about paying for, you know, I think Freeman is starting to get expensive for me, but like a Rizzo and Olsen, Reese Hoskins, Josh Bell, those guys where they're priced, um, I like to have one of them. I don't have to have one of them. I, I think to, to Justin's point, there are lots of other options. We can talk through some of those other options, but there's real value in being able to be like, Rizzo's my first baseman. I'm done. Uh, and in in our I think draft I'll- that we just worked on, Justin, for the, the food and travel league, uh, I picked up Rizzo and Hoskins. I thought the prices on them were good. Bats were going for super high prices, and those were two guys that I got for reasonable prices that I felt like I could just slot them in. I've got my first base in util. I know I'm going to get production there. Um, I may end up trading one of them. We'll see how that goes because I don't need them both, but I do think there's value there. Go ahead, Niv. Well, I was going to say, I think, you know, it's just like building on the name recognition thing. I think this is just a place where due to the arbitration and the market, uh, year over year, you're going to have big name first baseman available um, for you at your auction draft, right? Like there is always um, like that. That's just a position that always costs a lot. And all or at the top end, and always will be hit with arbitration if it didn't cost a lot. So, because everyone knows uh, if there's a guy who hit 50 home runs, right? I mean, like, you're not going to find, uh, 
it's not a place where you can like be like, well, this guy was sneaky good. Like Anthony Rizzo isn't sneaky good. Paul Goldschmidt isn't sneaky good, right? Like uh, Freddie Freeman is sneaky good for a first baseman, but he's not like sneaky good, right? Like these guys like are known. Uh, their production is 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 big numbers, and they're and like the, the first base position is a big number position. So um, I think you know you're always gonna have to spend the money there. I I agree, Chad. Though this is a place where production trumps value for me um i don't think there's i mean i you can be really creative and i'm, I'm sure justin and chad you guys are going to get into ways to be creative there but for me the way i play auto new um i don't want to be creative at first base i want to not have to think about it i think the places where you can be creative are places where you can find guys um deeper into the season that uh can help uh help out a platoon or help enhance like a split with a with another outfielder or something and you can't really do that at first base like there's just not enough first basemen um that are worth playing i think i think, I think if we're going to talk sneaky good near the top um the one guy who is i think a little bit sneaky good uh last year in fangraphs points carlos santana was the fourth highest point per game first baseman among first base only guys there's a couple other guys ahead of him dj lemayhew cody bellinger this is um, the season to get him man we get to skip the first two months of the season. You get Santana. <laughs> this is fair. this is when as, you want him. As an Indians fan, you're yeah. well aware. <laughs> but but I think I mean Santana's maybe the one guy who because like if I look at the top first baseman by points per game last year, Freeman, Alonso, Bell, Santana, Rizzo, Olsen, Encarnacion, uh, and then Luke Voigt, right and. I think at that point you're moving out of that like void. You're starting to move into the next tier, and Santana is the one guy who I think people don't always put him up there with the Rizzos of the world, and he's he's there. I, I think that's fair, and I think that that sort of reinforces the point that I I I'll be making probably many times in this episode is I think that's the the middle tier and the lower tier both have really good uh, targets for value. And, and value, but not just for value's sake, but also production, like a guy like Carlos Santana. And and he's exactly one of those, one of that group. Um, and his average price in first year leagues is twelve fifty, basically. And that's, I mean, I can fit that in all day long, whether he's my primary first baseman and I have another $10-ish first baseman at Util, or whether he's my backup that I play at Util. Um, either way, that's, you're off to a strong start. Um you know, he's, another- he's rostered in 96% of leagues, though. Like Santana is not, and that might be due to what um, you know, a, a sort of, a, a, what am I trying to say here? Like a lower price than expected, right? Because uh, if you look at his salaries across all formats, we're looking at a $16 player that probably was kept in a lot of formats, right? So um, I wouldn't go too far ahead in saying that he's a full-out sleeper. He's probably going to get you more than. Sixteen dollars worth of production this year, though I would think, if 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 last year's any indication. Yeah, I mean, and another guy for me that fits that mold is is Edwin Encarnacion. I know that um, Chad may not necessarily agree <laughs> with that, but uh, you know, he's he's a guy who's put up back to back years of um, you know well over six points per game, and oh no, I'm sorry, that's his split from last year. But the, the year before, he was five and a half, and then he's got sixes all the rest of the way. So, I mean, he's basically, historically, over the last three or four years, a six-plus point-per-game first baseman. And, I, you know, I don't think he, he's going, I think, in that range that 
um, that yeah, Santana is for a little bit. Price. He even lower. I mean, a eight dollars in yeah. first year league. So um, I'm I'm willing to make that gamble at eight bucks um, at, at for a first baseman that's been that productive for as long as he's been. Um, yeah, even with, we, with, even with age concerns, like I, I don't mind spending eight dollars on a guy that that's a little bit older, but might be deflated because he's a little bit older. Yeah, I, I think my my issue with with him, and I know we're going to talk busts later, but uh, I think he's for, first of all, he is old. He's going to be thirty seven this year. He might yeah. be thirty seven already. Um, he's, young, he's younger yeah. than I am, Chad. So, <laughs> and, and you know what? I'm not rostering you as my first baseman either. So. <laughs> I don't know. Justin's um, got that 40 home run power. So, but I also think the, the White Sox. Um, maybe he's helped by the short season, because I think my my big concern with him is that I don't think the White Sox like he's not part of their long term plans. They've got other. Uh, they've got Vaughn coming. Um, and if that team is not right in the mix, and if that team is not, um, and if he's not really producing, he's going to lose his job, right? And that's my concern with him is you could actually end up with a guy who like, oh, I only paid eight, 10 bucks for him and he's performing as like a $7 player and that's kind of fine. And then he doesn't play again in the last four or five weeks of the season, <laughs> And like, I, that's where to me, I think the real risk is with him. I think that like that team is looking to the future. I still think they're a year away. The shortened season might mean that they, you know, get off to a good start and all of a sudden tap that midway point of the season and you're right in the mix. And so maybe that changes things. Um, but I think in either case, he's going to have a really short leash in terms of his performance because of Vaughn coming. And there's a case where he performs and the team doesn't and he's gone anyways. So okay, so let, let, discussing Vaughn, you you think that Vaughn would get an opportunity to take that job if if Encarnacion struggles over the first what month of the, of this short season? Or I think I think the Sox are ready to see what they have in Vaughn, and I, I think that uh, there is a yes, I think there's a real possibility that he's up, um, especially given the weird I was roster say, structure right yeah, now. Yeah. It might have something to do with like learning a little bit more of the details of how this works out, like how this season is going to work out from a roster rules perspective. But it might actually like it it could break either way, but it could break in a way that really encourages the White Sox to give this kid a chance. Right. Right. I think the only thing that they're going to be stuck with is you've already got you've already got a Breo, you've got Encarnacion, you know, you've already got two guys that can only play DH or first base. They can't go anywhere else. And Encarnacion really shouldn't be at first. So Vaughn is in that same position too. Like it's going to be tough. I mean, I don't think it's it's outside. Which is why I think there's a real risk that Encarnacion is the odd man out. Well, right. Because if, if, if they are committed to getting Vaughn some time this year, it's got to come at the expense of Abreu or Encarnacion. So I agree with that. Um, I don't know if there's been any buzz about Vaughn, getting work like in left field or anything like that. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't I've seen anything, it. but um, that might be the only other thing that they might want to be creative with a younger guy that they feel is more, at least more athletic than Abreu and, and Encarnacion are about getting time out there. So, yeah, maybe I think though, like, like I said, I, I don't, I mean, again, maybe this changes, but like their, their outfield of the future is sort of in place right now. Right. You've got Eloy in left. You've got it looks like uh, Luis Robert is going to be in center, and then yeah, they've got Mazzara in right. Yeah. 
Right. Like, I, I don't see them. I don't know why you would mess with that to see if you can pigeonhole Vaughn into a position he doesn't really belong in when long term you've got first base or DH open for him. Like you have a spot for him. Why yeah. why would you mess with that? Well, I was just thinking of, of you know, in this strange season, if they're gonna give him work in, in left field just to make him as an just another path for him to come in and contribute. Um, because any of those outfielders, if they go down, they don't have I mean their backup outfield is Adam Engel. Like, right. No, I, I think that the, the thing with the White Sox is that they've got a thin margin of error. And if they are, uh, if they are really performing well and Edwin is hitting, he's going to keep his job because they, they have nowhere else to put Vaughn and they're not going to mess with it if it's working and they've got a shot to win. If they are, have any issues, uh, left field, you know, Eloy goes down. Mazzara doesn't hit, they, they lose games, then they need to start figuring out what they've got for the future and moving moving Vaughn in makes sense. And given that Encarnacion is, I would guess, most likely gone after this year, um, and Abreu is around for at least the next couple of years, I, that that's the thing. Is it's like my, my concern with Edwin is if he struggles and the team is good, he's gone. And if the team struggles, he's gone. <laughs> And so I just don't see I he could get traded, which maybe helps, but maybe who knows where he gets traded to. Like there's just who knows if teams are gonna want to make trades this year given the additional yeah. health risk it brings to suddenly have a guy moving from one clubhouse to another. Like there's all sorts of weird stuff going on. And I, I just I don't know. I can see I can see I look at those top first basemen and right and and, and Encarnacion is is he's not super expensive, but he's in that top ten. And I look at those top 10 first basemen and none of them are risky to me except for him. And I see a lot of risk with him. You mu- you must not be counting. You don't count Joey Votto in that top 10. Well, let me go look. Maybe I didn't, I didn't think he was. <laughs> Cause I, I would count Votto as being, as being risky. And, and see, I, mean... I have Edwin, I have Edwin as number 10 okay. by average salary and Votto is 11. <laughs> All right. So yes, so I... you're basing it on that. Okay. Yeah. So my, I mean, and, and that's like I didn't notice that Votto was eleventh. I think Votto is also risky. Uh, right. If I look at the top, the top ten I've got are Freeman, Alonso, Rizzo, Olson, Goldie, Bell, Hoskins, Abreu, Santana, and Encarnacion. And Edwin is he's the bottom of that, but he just man, I look at the guys after him. I, I, Votto, I'd rather have Luke Voigt, who's twelfth. Vaughn is in terms of average salary is thirteenth. <laughs> Uh, and then yeah. you get into guys like Christian Walker and CJ Crone and Daniel Murphy and Evan White and Kevin Cron and like there's a bunch of guys down there and that's only looking at the guys who are first base only, right? Then you start to mix in all of the guys that you could potentially play who are bouncing around at other positions and like I'm not paying for Encarnacion even at eight dollars. I'm just not doing it. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I am and I have been. I maybe I mean it could it could very well be a mistake. I, I make plenty of those, but I mean, to me personally, I think I might rather have Encarnacion this year than Abreu. I think he's more likely to hit. Really um, interesting. Yeah, and and I think now I think you're you're correct that the White Sox are probably less likely to have a short leash with Abreu just because he is he's he's under contract through 2022, um, right. and Encarnacion isn't. But if you're doing basing it purely on performance, I think Encarnacion is a better bet to hit better this year. So just my opinion, but um, 
any other first base sort of sleepers or, you know, values, veteran values or anything like that we want to talk about? I mean, I had another guy on my list, uh, Nate Lowe. Um, he's got a little bit of hype, a little bit of, you know, pro- like post-hype prospect buzz, but um, he's another guy that's, that's his average price in first-year leagues is only a little over $3.50. So, I mean, another under $5 guy that I think could have a breakout this year. Now that Rays roster is is muddled as hell. So I, I don't know, but I think he's... Yeah, this is... You and I are going to have another disagreement here, uh, <laughs> which is not about... There's another one where it's it's not so much about low as a player. Um, I think he could be fine. But the sleeper sort of lower rated first baseman I really like is G-Man Choi. And I don't think G-Man Choi is giving up the bulk of the at-bats at first base this year. Yeah, I think he's too good a hitter. And uh, so I expect that Lowe is um, fighting for at-bats on the wrong side of a platoon that he's the wrong-handed bat to be part of. <laughs> uh, and so... <laughs> He like because Low and and Choi are both lefties. Right. Um, Jose Martinez is is probably the the right handed bat that belongs in that group. Right. I I think the question becomes: Can Low get some playing time at DH? And if I look at roster resource on Fangraphs now, they've got Sutsugo as they've got Sutsugo there. Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, with Meadows, Renfro, and Kiermaier in the outfielder outfield, you know, it, it's sort of. I don't know. I I don't know where else you I don't know where else you find room for the combination of Tsutsugo and Lo and Yandi Diaz. I just uh Well yeah, I mean Yandi's gonna play third, right? Like they don't really Yeah, I mean I guess you could I'm just trying to think like could you move him I don't even know what you do. It doesn't make sense. Even if you even if you had him DH, you've nowhere to then to put Tsutsugo it's not like you can play low at third base. Right. I, I right. Mean, you'd be putting you'd be putting Joey Wendell or something at third base. Yeah. This might be one of those things where uh, I mean the Rays have so many players. Like the, I know we're joking about like how uh, unlikely it is that people really use the full effect of the of the deeper rosters that Major League Baseball is making available, but the Rays might. And the Rays might put yeah. out a they might put out a different nine players every single day for like a week, right? Like I don't think so though. I think like I mean the, I don't think Rays... that's necessarily the right way to to manage this season. I think, you know, speaking back to the White Sox thing as well, like I think a lot of these guys are gonna get long leashes because the long leash in this season is just a third of a season and like whatever, you know? So like you could make an argument for Edwin that uh is also sort of an anti low pro choy argument that's sort of aligned with like Man, like just go with a thing and run with it, and we'll be we'll be creative. I think next year. Yeah, I think the difference for me with the Rays and the White Sox is I think the Rays are going to be in the mix, and I don't think the White Sox are. I think everyone's they, in the mix, though. I mean, right? It's it's like to start for sure. Yeah, I, just think, I mean, three weeks in, you're everyone's going to be in the mix, right? I mean, yeah. Like, I was thinking, like, if you're the White Sox and you have the possibility, like, if you're not right in the mix three weeks in, and you've got to make a decision on whether or not you're trading Encarnacion. Like you have to make that call, right? Right. And whereas the Rays, I just they I don't, don't have that fall out. The Rays are going to be in the they're going to be in the fight all the way to the end. I think um, because of that, I think that they're going to continue to go with the best lineup they can put out there. They are well positioned to take to 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 handle things if stuff breaks down. Right, a bunch of guys get sick, they got injuries, whatever. Like they're well positioned to handle that better than most teams. Um, 
but I don't think they're going to be creative for creative sake. Well, I don't think it's creative for creative sake. I think uh, if you're thinking about those two teams, um, you have one team that is a strategically creative team that has shown that they get success from being creatively uh, or strategic creatively, right? So um, again, we're talking from far the outside. We don't know anything about what their internal metrics are for either of these guys. But you can imagine a world in which the Rays have really specific ideas about situations in which uh, Choi, Martinez, or Lowe is the right choice based on the pitcher, based on the opposing pitcher, based on any number of things. And, you know, the White Sox don't give the impression that they are... Now, the White Sox aren't a poorly run team by any means. They're very... uh, I think they're currently quite well run, but they're more in a traditional sense, right? Like, it's not as much on the field... uh, multi-positional let's move this guy here and this guy here for this kind of a pitcher or whatever and more of a like really sharp in terms of their talent acquisition talent um scouting and whatnot so to me if i had to pick a team that um might you might have to platoon all these guys right like every single raise player that you have you might be like well these guys like they're just not going to get enough at bats to hold down the position for a points league in auto new by themselves um Whereas when we're saying about these White Sox guys, I don't think anyone's saying that Encarnacion and Abreu and Vaughn are going to be rotated around to a point where none of them become useful. But I think that could happen in the Rays situation, just how how those teams play. That's fair. I think it makes sense. So so I think, I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you about um, really having to think about a Rays first baseman, but I think that's true for all three of them rather than Choi is going to be the guy because I think the Rays might, they really might use like 25, 26 uh, players actively instead of uh, just being like, here's our starting lineup and here's our bench. Yeah. So, I, and I think they're, they're best positioned to leverage that too, right? I mean, even even into their non roster, they've got some non roster guys that are really interesting too. So I think s- that. Such an interesting, cool team. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. It really is. It, it, not just on the hitting side, the, pitch, the way they're going to use their pitchers this year, you, you know, is going to be interesting as well. And they're sort of already pre built to take advantage of this wacky season. So, um, um, any other first baseman that you guys want to mention um, as far as sleepers? And we want to start talking about some busts. And we've already alluded to one of Chad's picks, but. Yeah, I think we covered we've covered uh, the positives pretty well here on first base. Yeah, I, don't, I think the only other name that maybe should come up as a sleeper is is Evan White with the Mariners, um, yeah. and we're gonna we'll probably talk prospects at least briefly later. Um, but like they signed him to a deal, they obviously think he's something. Um, I, I honestly like I don't have a great read on him. I think it's I just sort of look at him as like they didn't mess around with him. And if they didn't mess around with him, there must be a reason. (laughs) And so I'm sort of intrigued to see what he does. He should have the job from day one. There's really nobody, nobody competing with him. I don't think. No, but Vogelbach will be the primary DH. I mean, he's another guy that we, if we wanted to talk about a, maybe a a lower price sleeper, I mean, maybe he would fit, but um, I I feel like Dan Vogelbach is exactly Dan Vogelbach. Yeah, he's not a sleeper. He's not a bust. He's a three dollar first baseman. If you want to go that route with your first base, you could do worse than Dan Vogelbach. But like, you're making a choice about what you want to do around first base uh, in line with what we talked about at the beginning of of this segment. Yeah, I think in general that's fair. He still does only have a little over 700 plate appearances in the bigs. So, 
Yeah, maybe, fair enough. You know, maybe there's a, a secondary breakout. I mean, he hit fairly well last year, but um, oh, certainly he's a he's a, he's a rosterable player. Like he's not. Yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be a util or a you know a backup first base with a better you know somebody else in your lineup is a better util or something like that. I but. think the bit the big question with Vogelbach is like if I look back at his career over let's say the last three four years. Uh, starting in 2016, let's go with that. He was with the Cubs and Mariners. His strikeout percentage in AAA was 18.4% with the Cubs, 17.2% with the Mariners, 18.1% in AAA the next year. 2018, his last year in the minors, it was 15.6%. In the majors, the last two years, he's been 25.5 and 26.7. And so the only thing I can see with Vogelbach is like, is there some improvement in that strikeout percentage that takes him from being like right now, like last year he was a 341 on base, 439 slugging, totally fine. Take four or five percentage points off that strikeout percentage. Uh and there's, you know, if he can do that without sacrificing the power, there's there's a lot there. Um, it's not going to move him into the upper tier. He's not a guy who suddenly is going to be your stud first baseman for the next 10 years. Um, but could it move him from, yeah, this guy's a solid $3 first baseman to, I'm glad I picked him instead of Edwin Encarnacion. <laughs> yeah. Eight, $8, $8, $8 pick. You just can't help yourself. In the-, <laughs> the funny thing is I don't even dislike Edwin. Like I loved having him on the Indians. Well, yeah. I'm an Edwin fan, but I just, <laughs> You know. We have a whole section about bus, and the only name listed is Edwin Encarnacion, and we still <laughs> couldn't wait <laughs> to talk about Edwin Encarnacion. Um, well, no, to be I'm, fair, it's because I brought him up as a sleeper yeah, in right. preempting Chad's bus talk. So you walk yeah. right into it. Vogelbach's <laughs> an interesting. I think Vogelbach's an interesting player. I think he's uh, he's exactly that though. He's a backup first baseman until he proves otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think he's. He walks a lot. It, it, like Chad said, he has a history in the minors of, of hitting for a little bit more contact than he has. He's got power that he started to actually show last year more than he did in his first few cups of coffee. But, um, you know, he also just has a wretched, like, line drive, you know, launch angle profile. So he's going to run a, a really bad batting average on balls in play. So that, that hurts him quite a bit. But, um well, do you guys want to skip past bus and talk about strategy? Because I think that sort of ties in with Justin, what you're thinking about how to use, like where yeah, you would really, spend money. I didn't, right. I, Cause I wasn't really, I mean, other than like maybe thinking that, that Votto might be toast or something like that. I mean, but I don't think he's going for enough to even call him a bus at this point. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, you know what I mean? Like he's not, we've got a lot of first, I mean, if you wanted to bring up Miggy Cabrera as another one of those, <laughs> like we've got so many of these for in, in Paul Goldschmidt, you know, where he's actually almost a value at this point. It's, it's odd how many of these former stud first basemen are, are now going for really good discount yeah, in our, in our much lower prices anyway. In league one, like Goldschmidt went, he's averaging 29. He went for 36 in our league to, uh, for me. And, um, and just given the inflation in our, in our draft generally, I mean, that's like, that's, that's like a surprise to me. Like, just on name recognition alone, a player like that should be going for fifty bucks, and um, it seems that the reputation has ca- has maybe over caught up to him. Um, yeah, and I was I'm just looking up to see how much. Yeah, he went for sixteen dollars in the league that we just had. Yeah, the, that's crazy. That's Chad, and that's a four by four. Um, you know, so pretty fairly comfortable comparable uh, to like a points league format in terms of pricing. So 
I mean, 16 bucks. I, I don't know. This is besides the point. We were we were going to be talking about strategy. Yeah, so and I had to throw in bit, another. <laughs> so like, I, like I'll, I'll just go ahead and say my thing for first base is I, I generally try to keep a guy there that's a lock there. Um, I find that uh, for me, when I play around at the edges at first base, I end up not being able to catch at bats there or, or games played there, and um, or having to chase games played in a way that just makes me really unhappy. Uh, like finding first basemen that are like actually having to play Vogelbach for like a majority of a season, um, like stuff like that is, it's it's both fine, but it's also like first base for me. Um, having played fantasy for a while is like it's a premier position, right? Like I don't mind if my shortstop can't hit. If my first baseman has an 800 OPS. I'm I'm mad, and and he and you know he's Goldschmidt this year, so he still might, but. But I don't want him to, and I want to. I want to see production there, and that's like an exciting position for me. It's like a place where I'm excited to see production, and I value that above um, value. And I'm interested because I know Justin, especially Justin, but both of you guys uh, mentioned that you do enjoy uh, working platoons in that position, and I want to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I I really, for me, when I'm when I'm assembling a first baseman, you know positionally on any of my rosters, I'm really just trying to own guys at prices. I like, I don't care if that means I have two $5 first baseman. I don't care if that means I have a $35 stud that I got at a decent price. Like I don't have any specific structural goals when it comes to first base. Um, the one thing I do try to avoid is overextending. Like if I'm in the middle of a draft and I see that a lot of first basemen are going for, for good discounts, I don't want to draft two of them real quick because you're just locked out, right? Because now you've got your first baseman, you've got your till and your strategic options are limited so much by doing that. Um, it can be hard to do that sometimes. They feel like in general, a lot of first basemen, especially in that middle tier, they always seem to go for less than I think they should. The studs always seem to go for more. The, the, the lower and, and middle tier seems to go for less. So I think it depends on where you are in your league a little bit, right? So like the draft we just finished, it was a first-year league. I did exactly what you just said. I grabbed Rizzo at 29 and Hoskins at 26. Both I thought were good prices. They were less than I thought they would have gone for. Yeah. They were two of my first guys, and I was locked in. And then Voight went for, I think I got him for eight or nine, and I thought that was a good deal, so I got him anyways. And it's a first-year league. I had 40 spots to play with. Like, I'll have to make some trades. I'll have to move stuff around. Maybe someone will get hurt. We'll have to see. But like, I didn't feel locked out in that situation. Now, in a second or third or fourth or tenth-year league or something like that, where all of a sudden you grab two guys, you fill up those two spots, and then there's only so many guys left to bid on, right? And you, you could find yourself in a yeah, position yeah. where like you need one more bat. And all of a sudden, that one more bat can't be your util or can't be your first baseman, and so you're stuck. Like I get that. I, I get where where you can get because that bat may not be there in a first year league. There's there's you know right a few supply, hundred guys the out there. Supply is there at at, at at all so many of those positions that you're. And you're not. also you also in a first year league you just have um, a more fluid trade market. I think like. Like you have so many options with those three first basemen that you mentioned. Um, you trade two of them. You could trade one of them. Like, and you could trade um, Void, or you could go trading Rizzo. You know, you could trade any of them. Yeah. So that's like a pretty useful set of assets to have. Yeah. I, I will. I kind of. Well, I, I just just to sort of continue on what Justin was saying. Like, and I, I wonder, Justin, like what you think about this. Like, 
while I am willing to just lock in at first base, I do feel a little restricted when you start locking in a first base and a util that are both first base only players, because then you just have really like, to me, that's really constrictive. I think um, when we talk and I think, you know, I'm, uh, when you guys do get into this a little bit more, like these first basemen that have multi eligibility are, are useful for first base. But having a one a first base only guy that you are stuck playing at util for the whole season, while that might sound really clean and nice, it can be really limiting in terms of what you can do with like the rest of your positional players. Yeah, that absolutely is. And I think the other thing is is that it's. I mean, you made a comment about you know maybe not feeling like you could catch up on your first base games if, right. if you didn't have like a stud locking down. I mean, I. I feel like I don't have that problem. I don't know if I've just been lucky in that regard, but so many guys will pick up spare first base eligibility or so many guys right now are, are start with first base and outfield or first base and third base. That That's I, a good point. I don't, it's not as efficient. It's not as you know ideal to play some of those guys at first base or util, but I think you you can. it's a lot easier to fill that than it would I think, be. And the, I think the challenge, though, is you have to actually, you have to do it, right? So like, I think there's yeah. so many cases where... Um, like if I look at my League One team, um, I've got that that league I did. I went cheap at first base. I have a seven dollar Void. I have a four dollar CJ Crone. I have a one dollar G Man Choi. I should be able to mix and match and get my games played between those guys. If I start to fall behind, though, I need to remember that like playing Michael Chavis at first base is not ideal, but it's still games played and he's still a decent hitter. And I've got Renato Nunez from Baltimore and like. Would I rather play him at third base if I'm going to use him? Sure, I'd rather. But like, if I need games at first base, I can play him there. Right. And I think and I sometimes think people have this like mental block on like, that's I'm not going to keep up into. on first base because I'm not going to play this middle infielder at first base. Yeah, because I, I definitely have, it's definitely a thing where I'm like, um, any guy I have that has a 1B slash on his positional eligibility, everything after the slash is where I want to use him. Because I'm saying this is a guy who has um, upside of a first base production in my mind or something like that. And then you're like, well, um, why would I like if he can play in these other slots, he's probably better than like my fifth best outfielder or whoever I'm playing at middle infield or whatever. And and I think that's that's actually like a mental block that I have that I think is worth calling out um, for auto new players. Like you should remember that. Getting to your games at every position is more important than getting the best averages at every num- at every position. Right? I, yeah, I, I agree with in that. Points yeah. leagues. In points yeah, leagues. In points leagues. And in four by four, right? I think, well, four it's by four maybe is not- balance, right? I mean, I think in yeah. general, a guy you're going to play at first base in four by four, yeah, you probably want to max out those games. But like in points leagues, a bad player, like a legitimately bad player who you don't want on your roster, who has no value at all, is going to get you three points per game, and that's good. In four by four, zero home runs and zero runs and a one for four is still bad, <laughs> right? Right. Well, that's absolutely to- true. But like, I think uh, the point generally is that there are games caps and those games caps you should uh, aspire to hit even if you're playing a guy like Chavis at first base on a day that, on a Saturday that somebody else, like your normal stud has a day off, right? Instead of being Agreed. really locked in on having to play Chavis at second base and not being willing to play your fourth middle infielder. Um, yeah. And I think that's like a mental block that I run into. Like, You have deep rosters, and if you want to, and especially, and it's really worth calling out because this season is going to be the way it is yeah, with a lot say. of off days and stuff, right? right? I mean, like... This is going to be the year that reinforces that the most, right? That, that you've got to just, just fill in the games when, wherever you can and don't get too hung up on 
you know, you're, you're starting a, a, your mental depth chart should not uh, replace the reality on the ground. Right. I guess that's what you say. Yeah. And, and I think we, we've talked about this in the prior episodes. I think people that are playing Autonew this year, they need to just be flexible and know that, you know, maybe you're, you're playing a catcher at util sometimes because you just, you have to do that. So, um, yeah, and I think that's true for, I mean, I, I will double down and say, I think that's true in five by five, four by four as well. Like just because of the nature of this season, it'll really, it'll be an extreme example of it. Five by five, you may not always want to just like, you'll be able to find those games with better production later on, or it's okay that you gave up a one for four day or whatever. But uh, this season, especially, you really have to be flexible. And I think that's the way you should think about your roster construction and the way you should think about um, filling these spots. Yeah. And I think getting, getting back to the conversation about first base strategy, I was just looking back at, at the three teams that I've drafted this year, and I've gone with three really different strategies. Uh, we just talked before about how I got picked up both Rizzo and Hoskins in the most recent draft. In League One, um, I have uh, Otani as my util. But then at first base, I've got what I decided to do, and this was an intentional decision. I went with Voight, CJ Crone, G Man Choi, and then a bunch of guys who will play elsewhere who can also play first base. Um, because I think between those three guys, I can cover first base and all of Otani's off days. And so I give myself a lot of flexibility at first base there. And it's like the complete opposite of what I did in the league that Justin and I just drafted. Where I went with the two the two big names, um, and then in the other league I've drafted this year already, uh, I had a fifteen dollar Josh Bell who I kept right, and so I've got sort of a stud first baseman who I'm not paying for, and then I also added a seven dollar Luke Voigt, and I've got a couple other guys who qualify at first base, but I don't expect to use their um, Yasmani Grandal, Dominic Smith. Uh, I think those are sort of the two. Oh, Garrett Cooper's on that team as well. Um, and so I've given myself enough flexibility to to get that taken care of. But um, I, I think in general, what I find is like first base is just not a position I'm willing to overpay. Right. I think there's so much depth. And so like going again, think about this draft we just completed. I think I paid $25 for Fran Mil Reyes uh, in that league. I think it's a little bit of an overpay, but like you need a lot of outfielders and you need to get yeah. production out of those outfielders. And if I have to overpay to make sure I get production out of my outfielders, I'll do that. I won't do it at first base. I will pay for an expensive first baseman, but I'm only paying for an expensive first baseman who I think is at a good value. Because there's just, if, if I can't get a good value, like I can't, I shouldn't even say it. There is no, I can't get a good value at first base. I can get a good value at first base. There's always good value at first base because you can find a way take, um, you know, we're starting starting to talk about platoon guys. Like you can take Choi and Christian Walker and Jesus Aguiar. And I know a lot of people out there like Justin Smoke. I'm not a huge fan necessarily, um, but there's a bunch of guys like that that you can plug together and get pretty solid first base production. Um for a low, low price. And as long as you then reinvest that money elsewhere, you can get away with having those guys as your first baseman and and not have not have gone to 70 bucks to get Freeman for some reason. And the other thing at a, a sort of a high level strategy perspective that I wanted to mention too when it comes to first base is I feel like in general, more teams during the year are looking to trade away first baseman than they are looking to acquire first baseman which also lends to the idea of just owning a couple cheap guys, seeing if one breaks out and then having 
um, you know, having the ability to go out there and get a stud that somebody's shopping because you're not already carrying two studs there. You know what I mean? And between first base and util. So I think that goes back to what Niv was saying earlier about how there's there's always expensive first basemen available in the draft, even in right, because like they are. They're expensive and people tend to drop them because they think they can get value somewhere, which means they're also willing to trade them. I would just caution that this year, I'm assuming that this year I will not be able to buy at all. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. For this person this I, just, I think everybody's going to be, yeah. yeah, I think this year, I think it's going to be too quick for people to decide they're out of it. And I'm also, I don't think I'm going to be able to sell because <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to want to give up future pieces for such a random year. And so that's, I, I'm just sort of assuming the trade market's going to be a little slow this year. And I'm trying to build teams that are what they are. I think that's the right way to think about it. I wouldn't expect there to be... Um sort of from a meta perspective, I would not expect there to be a lot of trading this season. Um, I think there's too many unknowns. The trade deadline is not moving. It's going to be the middle of the season uh, in theory. Uh, And that's also going to be the first day of playoffs for leagues that decide to have playoffs. So um, I think it's just a really compressed period of time to figure it out. I think we might see some pretty interesting trades between now and opening day. But um, I think I think you're probably right that you want to roll with what you're rolling with, um, because it's it's sort of the same situation we we're talking about with the White Sox. Like you're in it, and all of a sudden you're just really not. Like there's not going to be a long period of time in which you can be like, do I want to gun for third place in this league with the upside of second, or am I okay with seventh? Like there's not going to be that period of time to really suss it out. We're gonna have a lot of we're gonna have some like interesting um, competition for like middle of the standings because I don't think there's going to be room to totally sell off. I don't think there's going to be room to totally buy um, unless you start doing it before opening day. And I'm not sure, sh- I'm not sure anyone wants to do that. I think you're right. Probably right about that, Chad. Like I would be surprised if people want to do that. And if they do want to do that, man, I want to go to Vegas with you. Cause I bet you're really fun. Like, well, like that's like a gambler's is, attitude, you know? <laughs> the funny thing is, if I was about to say, you and I just took over co-owning a team in a league that Justin is the commissioner on, yeah. we haven't really started talking yet, but I no. think we really need to make some trades. No, I mean... So maybe, I, I, maybe you and I should go to Vegas. <laughs> I mean, I think I think you and I are going to be perfectly aligned for this kind of league. So we're, we just picked up a points league um, with some of, uh, some of the... That's been around for a little while with some of the guys who've been playing Auto New for a little while. And it's my first points league, which is... Maybe something I shouldn't publicly say, but it's true, and um, and I'm excited for it. But I think you know Chad and I have a pretty aligned perspective about taking risks on trades and being willing to make trades. Um, Chad puts in way more of the work than I do. I'll be honest, but the overall, um, I think our uh, we're aligned in our phil- philosophy about how we want to run the team. So I'm really excited to see what happens this year. But I think you know. I think we're going to have to make all our trades before opening day, man, because I don't think we're going to see um, potential or opportunity to to fill in. Like, we're not going to be able to make the nuanced, like, hey, we got these two guys at first base, and one of them still has a half a job, and we need to, like, we have an opportunity to get this one player that really perfectly fits our, our splits and our platoon. Like, that player is going to be so hard to pry loose this year, uh, just given the short season and the... Uh, and the um, the sort of like difficulty of hitting games and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm interested to see how it goes. I think like I think 
you know, I know we're now, now we're talking, I'm talking a little bit more generally than I am about specifically first baseman, but I think this season is going to be one in which we're going to have to really let a lot of the things that are high variance that we don't necessarily think of baseball as being a high variance sport. We're going to have to let a lot of that wash over us. There's a lot of stuff that we, um, that's hidden as variance from us because the length of the season and because of, um, of how good predictions have gotten, how good, um, we've all gotten about prognosticating about what prices should be and um, being pretty good about um, capturing most of the potential breakouts and all that good stuff. This season, we're just gonna have to let it wash over us and it is what it is, you know? Um, and I think, I think I'm, I'm really excited to see how it works out, but I also would be really surprised if there's a lot of, a lot of ability to align on trades in season in the first three and a half, four weeks of the season. I mean, cause like what, it's going to take a week just to figure out if we want to buy or sell. Right. <laughs> and then you have 20 days left. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know, Chad, if anyone could do it, it's us. Act <laughs> fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I know that got a little bit away from the first base conversation, but I am excited to see how that goes. All right. I think, uh, do you want to talk about prospects at all? Are there first base prospects you guys want to talk about? I, I mean, outside of Vaughn and and if you count White as a prospect, I mean, I, I'm struggling to think of anybody else that's that's relevant enough to really. We have two Indians fans on this podcast, so we have to say Bobby Bradley. You're, but... you're... Bobby Bradley. <laughs> yeah, I know you're right. You're right. I can't even I can't even say it with a straight face, Bobby Bradley. I, I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, not... I want to believe. I don't know. I, I think sure. I think he's worth he's worth looking at only because I think he's going to get time. Yeah, I, I don't like in, in, in a shortened season with weird this schedules. Year. You might this be struggling for games. Like I think he's going to get a look at some point. The Indians have a bunch of guys between around DH, right? It's not first base. Santana's going to lock down first base, but they got a bunch of guys that are going to move in and out of there. And I think I think Bradley's going to get an opportunity. If you need some power, maybe take a look at him. But. Um, the reality is there usually aren't exciting first base prospects because no, like yeah. they're either truly elite hitters or potentially truly elite hitters like a Vaughn or they can actually play a position. Right. It's first it's outfielders that are moved into first base. It's uh third baseman that are moved to first base because they're not quite the glove in the organization, right? I, I wonder like, if that feels like something that's maybe changed in recent years, but also like now that's just the truth, right? Like you, if you're a first base prospect, you have to have like a 70 tool hit, hit tool or whatever. Like it's it got to be absurd. The only other thing I'm thinking about is I'm trying to think of like, like I'm thinking, I'm thinking back to Goldie, right? Like Goldie wasn't really a hyped prospect, but he was a guy who just mashed all the way through and the scouts, the scouts weren't sold on him. Um, I, I'm just trying to think of a, maybe there's a similar prospect now. I mean, one guy that I'm thinking of is Seth Beer, but he's really more outfield eligible than than first base only. Um, and the Diamondbacks already have a, a, a mess at corner uti- quarter infield. Um, but he's a guy that's that's somewhat interesting. Although again, he he counts more as an outfield prospect than he would a first base prospect. But, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know that there really are too many of those guys right now that that have really been raking in the minor leagues that might get a shot, especially like those older type prospects that might get a better chance of getting time this year with everything going on. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think maybe we're just at a weak point. I mean, first base prospects are always, always kind of weak. I feel like we might be an especially weak point for first base prospects right now. I mean, the only guy we've named barely has a minor league record, right? I mean, he was just right. drafted. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good and then, point. And then Torkelson, right? When he's when he signs and is added to the pool. Um, but, that's a good point. That's a good name. But he's uh, but, but you know. Yeah. Who knows? I, I don't know. I, I can't think. I mean, I'm, you guys have a name because I don't have. I can't think of anybody else. I'm, I'm looking at leaderboards from last year for first base, and I don't see nothing jumps out to me. So, if you're listening and you have a first base prospect, please correct us via yeah, maybe we're multiple channels. Like, I, I don't know. I I can't think of anybody beyond you know the guys we've already talked about. So, yeah, and I think you know for me generally, like if I'm looking at um, having, and it, we've talked about a little bit about this in terms of strategy, like. This season, obviously, is going to be down for prospects. Generally, I want to have three or four guys that I can either use as a trade ship or have as a future value. I'm, I never want it to be a first baseman, though, because I, I, guys yeah, move into yeah. that. Like You just right. never want it to be a first baseman. So so in terms of auto-new rostering, like that's a that's an even more difficult question. Like That's a, a first-base prospect either has to become a first baseman in the major league team very quickly because... Or you have to figure out a way to draw a trade value out of that. And I think generally auto new players don't, I think generally auto new players feel the same way we do about first base prospects. They're not, no such thing as a first base prospect, maybe more correct than there's no such thing as a pitching prospect because, because guys move into first base when they can't cut it at other positions. Anyway, if we're missing someone, you know, let us know. (laughs) So, all right. I think uh, I think we can we can probably wrap up this uh, this episode. Then uh, I think we've we've covered what we can cover on first base. Um, we'll we'll talk about third base next, um, and then uh, we'll probably continue on to middle infielder and middle infield positions on the on the episodes after that. So, um, uh, as I, as we always say, thanks again for everybody who who actually listens to these. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, you guys can reach out to us on Slack or on Twitter. If you have any questions for, for things you want us to discuss or answer on, on future podcasts, please do so. Uh, we love getting feedback like that. So don't be shy. So, uh, again, thanks for listening and have a good one.